it's that validation of someone saying it's okay you know what you're going through it's okay it's normal it happens and you know you're not alone kind of thing i guess that comfort and that validation and seeing that reaction of somebody impartial having no judgment having it, it just kind of makes you feel better and feel like okay you know if i tell this one person my story i can keep telling other people my story and you know this person reacted okay so other people will react okay too Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast, Hope to Recharge, a show that is designed to bring hope, inspiration, motivation, and some practical tips to those that are battling depression and anxiety, and to those that are supporting loved ones that are going through the journey in this difficult time of depression and anxiety. I'm here to tell you, you are not alone, and we will live beyond depression and anxiety. We will share our stories one story at a time in a world of mental health together is better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me here once again on Hope to Recharge podcast. We are in the month of September, the month that we are discussing suicide awareness. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go and listen. Powerful, powerful episode. Also, I would like to take this opportunity to ask you to please, if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, please take a moment, a brief moment, and help us climb the ladder of iTunes. The more we get awareness on iTunes, the higher we get on the ranking list, and more people can enjoy our content in the world. So take a moment to go to iTunes and review our show. We greatly appreciate it. In this episode, I would like to introduce to you somebody that became my friend through her journey of mental illness and her road to recovery. She inspires me beyond. Her name is Tali Wallen. She is both American and Israeli. She lived part of her life in Israel, part of her life in America. We're going to go through it in our conversation. And she inspires me all the time by her extreme desire to move forward, to understand herself better, to heal, to try things out. Her passion to giving, her extreme passion to giving. She's an amazing human being, and I am so grateful that she was willing to share her story on this podcast. And you know what? Without further ado, enjoy this amazing episode with Tali. I call her Brave Tali because she is the epitome of bravery. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to hear another story of breaking the stigma and sharing some hard times in your life and where you want to go and what are you working on now and part of your past journey and your dreams of where you want to be and hopes for where you wish the world would get to. So there's so many parts of our recovery. It's forgiving our past for ourselves and others that hurt us. It's acknowledging that accepting mental illness, that which is hard to accept when we didn't think that we we're in that category. And then there's moving forward, working through our journey. And then there's hope for the future for the general mental illness world and just mental health stability and how to break the stigma. So give me a little bit background, if you don't mind, of your childhood and where was your first major episode that you said, you think I think something's wrong with me. I need to get help. 
Well, I realized when I was about 17 that something was wrong. I didn't really have any friends in school and I just kind of felt like I needed help. I felt like something was wrong. Something was different. I couldn't really put my finger on it. I asked my parents to take me to a psychologist after a big fight with them and they took me to a psychologist and I decided I didn't want any more treatment by a psychologist. That was kind of my cry for help for my parents. They didn't really see it at the time. They only saw it a bit later when I kind of told them that that was my cry for help. And I kind of wanted them to pay attention that something was wrong. With During my childhood, I was moved back and forth a lot from, from the States to Israel. And I had a really rough time with it. And just kind of when I was older and I, you know, kind of knew more what I wanted, where I wanted to be, I went to my parents and asked them for help. So when you say that when you were 17, you asked to go see a psychologist and it was a cry for help, what does that mean? What does that mean, a cry for help? I knew that something was wrong. I really couldn't figure it out. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew that I needed to see a psychologist. I knew that I needed some help. I knew that I needed direction of what to do. You know, I just, something didn't feel right. And why didn't you continue? Why did you want to stop seeing is like if that was your cry for help and you got the help, what was it that wasn't satisfying enough that you said, it's, this is not what I need? My parents didn't notice that something was wrong. And that's kind of what really bothered me. You know, felt like I had been hiding it all the time. I didn't want my brothers to see that I was having a difficult time with all the moving. And then I just kind of wanted my parents to notice that I was having trouble and that I needed the help. I needed someone. I needed something, some direction. And I wasn't really getting anything. And when you went to the psychologist, it wasn't helping you? wasn't, it wasn't, oh, the, so you're saying that the help you wanted to get was the awakening of your parents noticing that yeah, it wasn't definitely. just, you didn't want to get the clarity from the therapist. You wanted to get the recognition from your parents and your loved one. I am struggling. I'm drowning. Yeah. Wake up. Exactly. And it wasn't doing that. Exactly. No. Was it because they were in denial? I think so. I think it was in denial. I think also they weren't seeing the whole picture of that I was having trouble because I was hiding it from my brothers so that, you know, they shouldn't have difficulty with all the moves. I didn't want to make it harder on them. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of hid it and kept it to myself. So you stopped the therapy and then what happened? I finished high school. I moved on. I went to Israel to do my national service. I did two years of national service and then I worked for two years and then I went back to America. And I decided to start college. So I started college and everything was fine until I think it was my third year of college when something just triggered me and I ran to the kitchen and I grabbed a knife for the first time in my life and I cut myself. And I knew then that something was really wrong and that I really needed help. I saw my grades starting to slip. I saw I wasn't giving in. I had assignments to do and I wasn't handing them in on time, which was very, very not like me. I'm very, very strict on handing an assignment on time and doing well on tests. Grades are very important to me. And I noticed everything started to slip. I started cutting myself, which was a place I was always scared to get to. And that's when I realized they needed help. When you started cutting for the first time, was it something that you were aware of that when people are really not doing well, they cut? Or was it something that caught you so off guard that your your mind took over your body to do something so scary? And you're like, oh my God, what just happened? I think it was a mix of both. It was more like, well, what just happened? You know, I had never thought I would get to a place where I would actually need to 
hurt myself to feel better. You know, it sounds mm-hmm. weird, but like, you know, that pain of hurting myself made me feel better. Did it make you feel better? In the short run, yes. In the long run, no, it didn't. So the first time you just said, I'm taking the, and like, did you know that you won't get like harmed to the degree of maybe death? Were you aware of what was going on? I was aware of what was going on. I was very conscious when I was doing it, that knowing that it wasn't an attempt at suicide, it was just, I wanted to hurt myself. I wanted to release that pain you know, that emotional pain, it's very hard to release emotional pain. But the second I had that physical pain, it just felt so much easier to release. It kind of felt like that emotional pain was coming out through that physical harm. Wow. Was that intuitive? Or is it something that you read somewhere? Or something that it was just like you felt I needed to do hurt myself in order to react because the the numbness and the what I can't feel anymore was too painful. I hadn't read it anywhere. You know, I was learning psychiatry. I'm in nursing school, so I was learning psychiatry that semester. But we hadn't gotten up to that part about self-harm or anything like that. So I didn't know about it too much. Mm-hmm. I don't know what made me run and go grab a knife. But I, I think it was all subconscious that I kind of thought that that would help release that, the emotional pain. And it did. I was surprised that it did. Wow. And then were you alone in the house? Did you tell someone? Did you leave, live in shame with it? Did you regret? Did you hate yourself? Did you love yourself? What happened after that first time? So after the first time, I don't remember the entire thing, but I do remember that I hated myself and I was upset at myself for doing it. I told a friend, I was alone at home, and I told a friend right after that I had done it. And, you know, she was kind of just there for emotional support. Like, what can I do to help? Is there anything I can do to make it better? What can we do about this? You know, she kind of pushed me to go get more help. Did you tell your family? Not right away. No. No. Were you able to hide it well? Yeah. I was self-harming on my legs, so it was very easy to hide. Wow. So you were aware of where you're self-harming in order to keep it a secret because you were afraid of what? I guess afraid of the stigma, afraid how my parents would react, afraid how other people would react. It was just kind of more of a personal thing. I didn't feel like it was something that everybody needed to see, everybody needed to know about. I was also ashamed of it, I guess. Was it, was there shame? I was going to ask you, was there shame? Yeah, there was a certain shame in it. I don't really know where that shame came from, but there was shame in it. Mm. Did you feel weakness? Did you say, wow, I... I, I... I'm not strong enough to control myself? No, I didn't feel weakness. It was more shame and, you know, I felt like it was something personal. Mm -hmm. And at what point did you say, I need to to tell my loved ones around me for support? I had only told that one friend and I kept it to myself. Otherwise, I didn't tell anybody. I was embarrassed of it. You know, there definitely was shame to it. I didn't really know how to tell people if I should tell people because I felt like it was very personal. Once I started to get help, I eventually did feel like I could tell my family. Mm. It just kind of happened though in the middle of something else that it just kind of came out and I told my mom. Mm -hmm. Were you in therapy all along? I was in therapy because I had a fight with my parents and that was kind of the answer was you know, therapy will figure it out. Therapy will fix it. 
So I was in therapy, but, you know, not for depression or for anything like that. And did you feel safe telling your therapist about the self-harm? I had only told her a few weeks later. Wow. I was kind of scared to say anything about it. So I didn't say anything. What it was it that this one friend had that you felt so safe to share with them? I think this is a very important thing because even your therapist, you felt shame. Even your parents. I mean, not everybody has the best relationship with parents, but you had a pretty secure relationship with your parents. You weren't fighting with them. You didn't hate them. It wasn't like you didn't want them in your life. You felt that they cared for you, correct? Mm -hmm. What was it that this one friend had that you felt safe? To share with them? I knew she had no judgment. I knew she wouldn't judge me. I knew she was only there to help me. You know, I had only recently, I came out to my parents. I came out of the closet. I told them and way before that I had told this one friend mm -hmm. and I, she, I saw that she didn't judge me on it. She didn't, you know, she didn't think any differently of me. She didn't, you know, she didn't tell anybody when I told her I wanted to be between us. It was between us. And I know I can trust her. And I know I had the support from her. That's such a big thing to have in life. Trust, right? Definitely. Trust can either hold someone together or breaking trust can destroy someone. Yeah, 100%. And if we only had that trust with humans to know that we're not judging you have your journey, I have my journey, and it's not judgment and it's not good or bad. It's how can we support each other? It's such a key thing. And I think it, you're so lucky for having that one friend that you really felt safe sharing with her. Yeah, I don't think, I think that's the problem with the, I think a lot of people are missing that support system, that person that they can trust. And, you know, that kind of just makes them feel uncomfortable telling their story or talking or, you know, sharing things. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have that. You have to have one person, you know, won't judge you for anything that won't think any differently of you that will be there for you no matter what. And that is definitely a lot of what helped me get through this. So I want to just touch upon that. You said that was a big thing that helped you get through it. Do you mm -hmm. think that if you didn't share it with anyone? with anyone and it, you were still self-harm on your leg and you'll be able to hide it. Would it be so hard to heal because it would be a secret that you're holding and it was just too hard to hold that secret and you just want to let it out to the world? Definitely. What do you think it is in, in a secret that's so painful? Well, you know, I've had a bunch of secrets going through life. I had to hide from my parents in the beginning that, you know, my family is Jewish religious. I had to hide from them that I'm not religious. I had to hide from them the fact that I was out of the closet. You know, there was a lot of things I had to hide from them throughout the past few years. And I don't know, it's, you know, it's just, it, you're nervous about the reaction. You're nervous about how you're going to be seen. If you're going to be seen differently, they're going to feel the same way about you. If they're going to accept you the same. It's just that the unknown, I guess, is what's pretty scary. But what is so healing about the sharing part? The, the, the shame and fear we understand a lot about it. But what is it about a secret that is so therapeutic and sharing with someone safe, like a therapist, a mentor, a best friend, someone that you feel like they're not going to share your secret, your secret is locked in a vault with them, but it's still therapeutic. It's not like you shared it with her and she was able to heal you. 
It's not like she said, oh, here's the, oh, oh, you're self-harming. Okay, here's three books you're going to do. And this is what you're going to, I know what it is and go to this therapy and this is what you're going to do. And in two years, you'll be okay. She didn't give you any kind of guidelines of how to heal. She just gave you empathy, holding space for your pain. And and validation. And validation and meeting you exactly where you're at. What do you think it is that he, that is so therapeutic about sharing a secret? It's that validation of someone saying it's okay. You know what you're going through. It's okay. It's normal. It happens. And you know, you're not alone kind of thing. Mm. I guess that comfort and that validation and seeing that reaction of somebody impartial, Mm -hmm having no judgment, having, it it just kind of makes you feel better and feel like, okay, you know, if I tell this one person, my story, I can't keep telling other people my story. And, you know, this person reacted. Okay. So other people will react. Okay. too. Mm, Maybe it's acceptance with who you are. Basically when you share your story and someone accepts you, you start accepting yourself and not doubting yourself. And then one person at a time, you suddenly say, see, Oh, I'm okay. I'm there's there there's nothing really wrong with me. I'm just different. This is my journey. This is my these are my struggles. But it's it doesn't make me evil, bad or not functioning. This yeah. just makes me a part of who I am and by me sharing it and getting validation, it helps us accept ourselves. Yeah, exactly. It helped me also start to accept my diagnoses in the beginning I had a very hard time when I was when I went to the right therapist and the right psychiatrist I wasn't okay with my diagnoses Mm -hmm. and then once I started telling people and I started joining groups on Facebook of you know my certain diagnoses and seeing other people that are going through the same thing I'm going through it was just it, it helped me be okay with it more it helped me accept myself more it helped me accept my diagnoses it it just made me more comfortable and maybe even not fear it as much and just live in harmony with it versus um, resenting yeah, it, right? Stigma. Resenting mm-hmm. it and being so afraid. Oh no, what if I self-harm again? Okay, if you self-harm again, that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. Exactly. Versus beating yourself exactly. up. I fa- I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Exactly. That's how exactly how it was at the beginning. I was beating myself up and thinking I'm useless, worthless, you know. I'm just self-harming and what's the point? And, you know, I didn't really know what to do with it. And I just kind of hated myself afterwards. But after finding, I found DBT therapy, which was exactly for me. And I learned different strategies and different tools on how to deal with all these different, you know, with the emotions and with with the needs to self-harm and everything. Mm -hmm. It just kind of, it helped me really learn how to handle it. It's so empowering to know that we have something that's not common, speak like not common out in the world that people speak about it, but we still have the courage to go look and seek for help for it and to recover and live a better life and and to even come further than most human beings that don't have any of these struggles. It's really empowering. I want to go back to your therapist. You said that you had a therapist. Did you feel safe once you told your therapist what was going on that she can guide you? She, he, I don't know. She, he, she, yeah. she, he, uh, she, um, that <laughs> she. she could di- lead you in the right direction. Did you feel safe that? I did. Yeah. 
I did. I felt very safe. And, you know, she even pushed me to come out of the closet and to tell my, talk to my parents because she thought that that was part of the reason that I was self-harming was because I had this big secret mm. and, you know, I was hiding myself. I couldn't be who I was. I couldn't tell my own family who I was. I saw both my brothers getting married. I had a very hard time with it. My parents saw I had a hard time with it. They didn't understand why, mm-hmm. but I knew myself that, you know, I have this big secret. My brothers are getting married. They can get married, but I won't be able to because I have to hide who I am. Mm. So my therapist pushed me to come out and I actually did come out, which was an incredible feeling. And afterwards I was, you know, I had this safe place and everything, but my psychiatrist told me I should try DBT therapy because of the self-harm. The self-harm continued after I came out and after I told my big secret to the world and you know, I started DBT therapy and it was just, it's been very, very helpful. It's so good to hear that, that there's a method out there that could really come along with us wherever we go and meet us, right. And meet us where we're holding that moment. And, and it could be so therapeutic and, and to, and just moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I still self-harm now, but Mm -hmm. I see it happen much, much less than at the beginning. You know, in the beginning, it was happening on almost a daily basis. And now in the past three months, I have self-harmed twice, which is a huge step for me. And it's, wow. you know, it's it's just such a good feeling. And I see myself, there have been many, many times in the past three months that I've felt the need to self-harm. And I see the DBT strategies that I've learned guiding me on how to handle it, what to do all the different things I should do before actually getting to self-harm and it's work. It's incredible. Wow. How, how long yeah. have you been in DVT? Um, about three, four months, maybe, I think. For anybody that doesn't know what DBT is, can you give a little explanation what it is? It's called the uh, dialectical behavior therapy. It's basically a type of therapy that's aimed towards people who have um, borderline. Thank you. I was blanking on the word. <laughs> borderline. <laughs> Thinking about it in Hebrew. Borderline yeah. personality disorder. And, you know, I have traits of borderline personality disorder. So my psychiatrist sent me to DBT and it helps you change your actions. You know, from before, you know, if you have the need to self-harm, then what to do on how to make and how to do different things before actually doing self-harm. For instance, uh, a lot of what I do most of the time what I do is I distract myself. I'll read a book. I'll watch TV. I'll go for a run. I'll go for a bike ride, you know, all different things just to get that energy out that I don't have to self-harm. But what happens when you you don't want to distract yourself? What if it, you're just like, you know what? I don't want to be distracted. I want to self-harm. Like I could distract myself and go to the gym. I could distract myself and take a shower. But you know what? I just want to self-harm now. I don't want to be distracted. You know, sometimes we just want to be angry and we right. don't want anybody to make us feel better. We want to be upset. Yeah. Does DBT help you with that? So, I mean, yeah, th- those days I usually make sure that I get into bed and that my knife is nowhere near me and not in my bed, not near my bed. And I just stay in bed until the morning until I kind of, you know, make myself fall asleep. And hopefully that feeling passes by the morning. So powerful that you're willing to put boundaries in order to protect yourself from, from self-harm because Mm -hmm. it's something that you want to outgrow. Is it your goal to outgrow it forever or you're not looking at it like that? 
Well, I try not to look at it like that on a daily basis, but overall, yeah, it's my goal to outgrow it and not have to deal with it anymore. You know, I've needed stitches a few times and glue a few times because I don't notice how deep I cut, but I would just like for that to stop overall. You know, it's not fun having to go to the doctor or to urgent care and say, hey, you know, I self-harmed, I need stitches again. Right. Does it still give you a relief? Not as much as it used to. Still does, but I'm trying to stop it overall. I keep using DBT methods that I've learned to try and avoid it. The book, The Upside of Being Down, she talks about finding the real successes in our journey and where we got to by being down and by being having mental illness. And I'm thinking of your story and I'm I'm thinking that if you didn't self-harm, you wouldn't be able to go to DBT because you wouldn't know about it. It wouldn't come to your attention and you wouldn't have these tools to deal for the rest of your life with all kinds of things, not only self-harm, with all kinds of situations like disappointment, betrayal, um, hurt, frustration, anger, depression, even with depression, right? It works also for depression, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It works for depression, for anxiety. It's mostly aimed at borderline, but borderline mostly comes along with depression or anxiety or both. Right. And now you have a tool that basically helps you. And if not for the self-harm, you would probably never know that you have borderline traits, right? Mm -hmm. It wouldn't even come up in conversation because they would say, oh, it's depression and anxiety. Exactly. I was in the beginning already diagnosed with dysthymia, which is a type of depression. It's just, uh, you know, pretty much a prolonged depression. It's that you've had depression for more than two years nonstop. I was diagnosed with anxiety, with social anxiety and with the borderline traits. So because of all of that, my psychiatrist sent me to DBT, which has been an incredible help. I see such a big difference. Wow. In such a short amount of time. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really incredible. And the person that started DBT, Marsha. Marsha Linehan, she, yeah. She started it because she was suffering with borderline personality disorder. And she was always living in the shame and the stigma. And mm-hmm. she Developed this incredible process or um, technique that can help. And I believe, and I say this so often on my podcast, that I believe that DBT should be taught to every child. Forget mental illness. Oh, 100%. It should be, it should be taught in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. It should be taught because it's just, it, it's a method of being in touch with what we're going through and walking us through our emotions what's going on instead of going from zero to a hundred in an episode of an emotion breakdown, anger management, disappointment, all these things. It just helps us break it down in our mind. And it's, it's, I, I think it's fascinating that, that it's such a powerful tool, but we're, it's given only to people that are di- diagnosed with borderline or b- borderline traits with, by the way, I personally think that most human beings have some traits from borderline. Oh, 100%. Right? Like you know, one of the joke. traits is abandonment, fear of abandonment. Who wants to be abandoned? <laughs> no one. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Who wants to be left behind with love from exactly. loved ones? Like, oh, then please, just, just leave me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> love me to death. Take care of me and just leave me. That's okay. <laughs> but yes, of course, I'm, I'm taking it to the extreme. But yeah, they're... Well, that's borderline. We take extremes. Right. But exactly. But it's, <laughs> it's extremes and also with um, suicidal thoughts. So 
One of yeah. the things are so, uh, increase in suicidal thoughts and how long do they last. And mm -hmm. so I just think that it's such a helpful tool for everyone. And I hope that the mental health community starts being more aware of this tool because and implementing it. And in just in general in society, that's just my little rant right here about that. <laughs> But <laughs> I yeah. had to say, no, DBT is definitely incredible. Even in our joke, in our uh, group, we joke about that all these celebrities need DBT mm -hmm. and it's really true. So many people would really benefit from DBT. Yeah. Living with mental illness can be full of pain, frustration, and anguish. At times, it can feel like you are completely alone. Well-meaning loved ones may not understand what you are going through and might not be able to offer the support you need. Finding the right source of support is crucial to your journey of healing. While we always encourage you to seek appropriate medical and psychological help, adding someone to your team who has been where you are can provide a much-needed shoulder to lean on. Matana knows what it is like to feel debilitating anxiety, and through her own journey of more than a decade living with mental illness, she has spoken with hundreds of others navigating their own anxiety and depression. Matana is not a therapist or a doctor, but has been able to partner with many individuals like yourself, creating a strategy toward mental, physical, and emotional well-being. One-on-ones with Matana are self-paced conversations allowing you to move forward at a comfortable pace. She'll work with you as you discover your own path and the steps that are right for you. To schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Matana, head over to hopetorecharge.com forward slash free. That's hopetorecharge.com forward slash F-R-E-E. Or you can click the link in today's show notes. And now let's get right back to Matana and today's conversation. Were you ever suicidal? I was, yeah. I had a suicidal attempt. I had suicidal thoughts for a long time. Since I'm a teenager, I've had suicidal thoughts. Did you tell anybody about that? No, I only told my parents years later. And what do you think stopped you from when you were young, if you had all the thoughts, what do you think actually stopped you? And you didn't tell anybody and you didn't, you weren't in therapy. What do you think protected you? When I was young, what stopped me was my brothers because I knew how much of a hard time we all had moving back and forth all the time. And, you know, I just knew it would be even harder on them if suddenly they lost their sister. You know, it would put this huge trauma on them and they wouldn't really know how to handle it. They were young. They were about 14 at the time. And, you know, I just, I didn't want to put any more trauma or any more difficulty on them. That's kind of really what stopped me then. Wow. Wow. Thinking of others. Yeah. I think it's incredible that we're willing to suffer through pain for other, to protect others from pain. It's, it's, yeah. pre it's pretty admirable that we could do that. And, um, but thankfully you did it because now you're here talking to us yeah. and you're doing so much better. <laughs> yeah. I also, uh, a few months ago, like back in December, I had a really rough time where I was going through, where I had a lot of suicidal thoughts. I had taken off a semester of college because after I started self-harming, I realized I needed help. And I woke up the morning of the next semester. I was supposed to start my clinical rounds and I just woke up with a really bad panic attack, like an anxiety attack. And I had chest pain and I couldn't breathe. And it was just really, really bad. So. I decided that's it. I'm taking the semester off. I need time. I need to heal. I need to find the right path, the right help. 
And it took me a while till I found DBT. I played around with all my medicines and until I found the right mix. And then in December, I had a really bad downfall. I was just spiraling downwards for about a week until I realized I really needed help and I couldn't stay safe at home. So I went to my therapist, my DBT therapist, and I told her that I felt that I couldn't be safe at home and I needed help. And she suggested the hospital. And at first I was very, very weary about it. I didn't really want to go. I didn't want to be away from my family. I didn't want to be away from home. I didn't want to be in a closed unit. You know, I had done my clinical rounds already in psychiatric hospitals and I was scared. I was scared. I didn't, you know, it was the unknown. I didn't know what it would be there. And my therapist kind of calmed me down and told me it's a college unit. So it's all geared towards college students who are having the same types of issues as you. And, you know, you'll find the help that you need there. You'll hopefully make friends there. You'll find there are other people who are going through the same thing that you're going through. And I agreed. I went, I was there for eight days and it was a restart on my brain. It was incredible. It, it just kind of made me see, wow, you know, it's not bad to be hospitalized. It's okay. You know, I made friends. So I still have friends from wow. there. We're still in touch and we're just kind of there for each other all the time, helping each other out and being there for each other. Cause we know what we're all going through. We had we had therapy groups and we had all different things. And it was just, it was incredible. It was just a restart where I said to myself, okay, from here on, I'm going up. I'm not going down anymore. I'm only going up. Fantastic. Isn't it amazing how we're so afraid of stigma, but, and the stigma is killing people because we're yes. afraid of what's going to be behind closed door. What are people going to think about us? If we go to the hospital, exactly. are we going to survive there? Are we going to, all these stories we tell ourselves in our mind prevent us from getting help, but it was the biggest. What are my friends going to say? What are people going to say? What's my family going right. to think? It's just, it's all the stigma. And it was the, you, as you said, it was a restart. It was the beginning of like your big beginning in healing. Definitely. I got out of there. I got out of the hospital on New Year's Eve and kind of made it my New Year's resolution to you know, from now on, I'm just going up. I'm not going down anymore. I'm continuing. I'm going to do this. Wow. Amazing. Have you ever had very hard days since then? Yeah, definitely. Since then I had a suicidal attempt. I almost ended up back in the hospital because of it, but I pushed myself to stay out. And after the suicidal attempt, I decided, okay, you know, it didn't work. It was just an attempt. I'm just moving on from here. I'm going upwards. I'm not going down anymore. There are still definitely hard days. You know, I've still needed stitches since then. And I still have hard days where I feel that I want to self-harm or that I don't want to get out of bed. But I just push myself to stay up and to not let myself go down anymore. Do you feel like you deserve to have a good life? Definitely, I think everybody deserves to have a good life. And that's part of what they teach you in DBT is that you're here to build a life worth living. So, you know, you got to find that reason and that, that whatever pushes you to want to live, to feel like you're worthy, to feel like you want to live, like you want to continue your life. And, you know, I have, I started nursing school and I have one semester left and that's kind of what pushed me through. Right. Most of that difficulty was, wow, look how much closer I'm getting. I have 
three semesters left, two semesters left, now one semester left, you know, it's just, it's, it's pushing me because I know I want to work with, I want to work in the ER, I want to work with sick people, I want to help sick people, I want to help mm-hmm. people get better. And that's kind of what's been pushing me to get through this all. That's fantastic that you can give because you know pain, you know, physical yeah. and emotional pain. And and you yeah. can feel like you are literally holding space for people's pain when you're when you're the nurse in the ER, the first place that they're coming after a major episode of whatever it is. If it's high fever or a car accident or a heart attack, you're the first person, first responders, which is incredible. Just that is a healing experience for you to say, I took all my pain and my struggles with all the the hardships in between and all the times that I thought that I won't make it, but I made it through. And here I am helping people. It's so empowering. It's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I do that now. I'm an EMT and an EMS Mm. dispatcher. So I do that now. I've had so many calls of people who have wanted to commit suicide, who have had suicidal thoughts. And I really, I, I understand them and I'm just kind of there on the phone with them talking them through it and trying to get them through until somebody gets there to help them. And I felt that with my experience, I'm actually able to help them and able to kind of talk them through it and not do anything until somebody gets there. That's so, so beautiful. It's so beautiful that you're able to be there to understand. There's nothing like understanding what the person is going through and what they need to hear to make them feel better. That's the big difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy understands the pain. They understand Mm -hmm. where they're exactly at and you can walk them through it. That's so special. So, so special. Did you feel worthy beforehand? Did you feel worthy of living before you went through DBT and healing? No, I didn't. I felt worthless. I felt a lot of negative thoughts and negative feelings and I just didn't have the will to live and I didn't, I couldn't find anything that made me want to, you know, continue and build a life worth living or anything. And once I found DPT and after the hospital, it was kind of a restart and a kick of, you know what, you are worth living. Look at how far you've come until now. Look at what you've accomplished, what you've done. And that kind of pushed me to you know, get through this. I have one semester left of nursing school. I'm going to do this. I can do this. I am worthy. And, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to help other people. So beautiful. Do you know what led you to feel not worthy and that despair? And I don't deserve to live happily like others. Like why are others okay to live happily? Why do they deserve versus you? What was, what was your mind telling yourself that was, saying you're not worth a happy life. You're not worth living in general. I don't really know. There was just something telling me that I'm not worthy, you know, until I really started getting the help I needed and taking my medications and making sure I take them every day and finding the right medications, finding the right doctors and the right therapists. It just Mm -hmm. all took time. And it was just a mix of everything that just kind of changed it. I want you to just give us uh, to wrap up I want you to, from your experience, to give some advice to those that are starting their journey and finding themselves. I always say there's no one answer for 
recovering from mental illness and there's not a time frame. It's a cocktail. It's really a cocktail of different things that works from you. What, what led you to here? What, what started where, where you're at now when you're starting to get help, what advice would you give someone that's starting off and they're so overwhelmed with therapists, psychiatrists, the world, not understanding themselves? What's the first step they could take to say, I'm starting even though I don't know what I'm doing? Well, first off, never Google your symptoms because Google will tell you the wrong thing. Google will most probably tell you you're dying. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about finding the right help, the right doctors, the right therapists. I went through a few psychiatrists before I found the right one. I went through a few, a couple of therapists before I found the right one. And what really helps is knowing that there are people just like you. So mm -hmm. I think the most important is first going to a psychiatrist and having them kind of gear you towards the right kind of therapy that you need because doctors know best. and once you have your diagnosis or know what's going on with you, more or less, you can find support groups. You can find groups on Facebook, groups on all different places of social media. And you can find so many people who are going through the same thing that you're going through. And just knowing that is such a big help. You feel like you're not alone. You know, there are other people out there like you. And that kind of helps break that stigma and that fear of accepting yourself and being able to tell people who you are and what you are and what's going through you and what's going on. I think that's definitely a big, big help for people who are just starting mm -hmm. and don't really know where to go. Today's episode is sponsored by betterhelp.com. Are you looking for online therapy? Are you stuck at home like everyone else? High stress, high anxiety, worried about the future, trying to navigate everything, have a lot of worries, have a lot of emotional roller coaster rides up and down just like me betterhelp.com is one phone call away one zoom call away one text away it's an online platform for therapy it's so perfect for now for coronavirus for what people are going through now we can reach out and get the perfect therapist that meets our needs don't wait check them out see if you can find somebody don't struggle. They're so affordable. They are so affordable. You're sitting at home. Every therapist is working online now. Reach out and get help you need. If you are struggling, don't struggle in silence. I am so grateful that they are giving us 10% off the first month so you can get affordable access to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge, start your wellness, get help, get support you need. Do you believe that the statement of be here right now at this moment and don't think about the end of the day is the right approach? Yes. Part of what DBT teaches you is mindfulness, which is just being in the moment, being in the present. Don't look at the past. Don't look at the future. Just be present be where you are in that moment whether it's with friends whether you're eating food just enjoy the moment and find things that make you happy that you know put a little bit of joy there whether it's the taste of your food the the texture of your food or just sitting with friends and being present right there and 
talking to them and not thinking about other things, not thinking about how your day was, not thinking about what's tomorrow going to be like. Just being in the moment can also be very therapeutic. What's the difference between mindfulness and denial? Because if you're struggling and you're you're saying, I'm going to just be here with my friends right now, enjoying, let's say, a movie that we're watching. I'm still hurting. I'm still really hurting about the, my past, if it's trauma, if it's abuse, whatever it is, right? How do we mm-hmm. know the difference between mindfulness and denial? Because it could be very intertwined, right? Right. But denial is more thinking everything's okay. I don't have an illness. I don't have a problem. I'm ignoring everything. While mindfulness is just, okay, I'm currently thinking about what I'm doing right now. I'm going to enjoy where I am right now, not think about what I'm going through. What I'm not thinking about my suffering right now. I'm thinking about other things. I'm with my friends. I'm going to enjoy their company. Afterwards, I can go back to thinking about you know, what's going on, what's bothering me, and kind of try and find a way to deal with that pain. But, you know, very much being in the moment is not at all the same as denial. Being in the moment and enjoying the present, you're not denying that you have anything wrong. You're just not thinking about it at that moment. You're enjoying where you are right now and trying to find the joy in the little things. You're choosing to be in the now. Mm-hmm. And if the now is sadness, that's also mindfulness, right? Exactly. It's okay 100%. not to be in denial. I'm sad right now. I want to cry okay right to now. It's okay to be sad. Right. I'll be in my sadness. I'll mm-hmm. be in my pain. I'll be here. I'll be mindful versus suppress it and distract myself. So both of them are don't distract yourself. If you're in a good moment now with your friends, don't think how miserable your life is if you can really enjoy it. But exactly. if you're really sad and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're annoyed, that's okay. Hang out there until the feeling passes. Yep. Don't suppress it. Don't think, all right, you know, I'm not actually sad. It's my mind playing with me. Mm-hmm. You know, let it let it overcome you. Let you let yourself feel that sadness, feel that disappointment, because that's part of getting through it is feeling it and saying, okay, wh- how do I build up from here? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm feeling sad. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm upset. I'm depressed. How am I going to lift myself up and continue on from here? Thank you for that. I like it. I really like it. Do you have any stigmas you're still afraid of that you haven't shared with your best friends or your parents? I don't think so. I've pretty much shared everything. Everybody knows, you know, all, my, all the people close to me know what I'm going through. They know what I'm dealing with. And they're all very understanding and accepting. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was at the doctor, actually, and I saw that he kind of had stigma. I needed stitches. And he was saying to me, no, I'm going to put in staples. I told him I don't want staples. And he said, no, you cut yourself. I get to decide your treatment. Wow. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, okay, yeah, you can choose my treatment. But I didn't choose to be this way. I suffer from mental illness. You think I chose to be this way? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of hit him and he realized, wow, okay, that stigma and, you know, I shouldn't be acting this way. This person is really suffering from something. And, you know, from here on, I'm going to, he was nice for the rest of the time and he was talking nicely and wow, he gave me stitches instead of staples like I asked him to. So there is stigma. But what, what was it in his tone or in, 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 in that statement that bothered you? He couldn't look me in the eyes and he was just kind of very, 
oh yeah, here, here's another psychiatric patient I have to deal with. And he wasn't really thinking that I'm a person until I kind of hit him with that line of, you know, I didn't choose to be suffering from mental illness. And he was like, oh, wait, hold on. This is a person. I I need to talk to this person, this patient, like a person and not just, you know, together, you know, this is one psychiatric patient out of all the psychiatric patients I have. So I'm just going to treat her like another one of the psychiatric patients. Wow. Do you understand that when you stood up for yourself, you made an impact for anybody else that probably, he'll probably stop and think or remember, he'll remember your statement probably forever. Mm -hmm. I hope he does. Wow. That's very insightful to say that. I, I, I don't know if I would be able to be so quick to understand what was bothering me and to say it so profound in a, such a profound way. Very insightful. Just because of the way he was talking to me, he was talking to me like I wasn't a person and, you know, like, oh, she's just another one of those. Wow. It, it was like the stigma wow. and it really, really bothered wow. me. And you know, I feel like I've been through this long enough and I've been open enough about everything that I was just kind of able to come to him and be like, listen, man, you know, take a deep breath, step back and think about what you're saying. Think about who you're talking to. Wow. So powerful. Thank you for helping the mental health society of awareness, the people that, and, and I always say it's not, it's not their fault. They're just ignorant. They just yeah, were not definitely. taught how to, how to treat people properly and Mm -hmm. and when until you're in a situation it's really hard to know what we're going through it's really really hard and that's the grace we have to give people to just understand okay they're doing the best they can but they just don't know they just don't understand yeah i have two more questions for you one is a question they ask all of my guests and the other one is specifically for stigma so i'll start with the stigma what what do you think the world can use right now in a practical level in order to help break the stigma around mental health and make people feel safe like you felt with your friend? I think people really need to be aware that <clears throat> mental health is something that people suffer through. They didn't choose to be this way. And, you know, there may be stigma, but We have to break the stigma. We have to, people have to understand maybe, I guess, listening to things like your podcasts and to um, hearing people who are really suffering from mental illness and understanding what it's like and, you know, what they're going through right now. We're still going through this big pandemic. The last thing we need is more stigma and more, you know, (laughs) everybody's, everybody's all uh, big on this pandemic. We should really also be focusing on all right, how can we help one another? That's what we're focusing through on the pandemic. It should be right. focused in the mental health world as well of how we should yes. help each other and how we should be there for one another and what can we do to make it better? Beautifully said. And on this pandemic uh, point, I want to just add that I think it really helped the mental health world, the mental illness world, because now people that said, I don't understand mental illness, it's only in their mind everybody's dealing with anxiety. Everybody's dealing with, oh my God, what am I feeling? These are new feelings I've never felt before. I never felt trapped. I never felt so angry. I never felt so disappointed. I never felt fear. 
And here we are all suddenly the world is understanding us. Yes. Finally, <laughs> the world is understanding. I said the world collectively had a panic attack, anxiety attack, 100%. emotional breakdown. We know how to deal with it because we have tools and we mm-hmm. might have better days or harder days, but you, but we are so wired to deal with uncertainty and not knowing just because I went to sleep feeling good doesn't mean I'm going to wake up feeling good. I don't know what, even in the middle of the night, I might have a panic attack in the middle of the night. So know how to deal with it. And now there's a little bit more awareness that it can come out of nowhere without their control. A virus can control my emotions. A virus can control my emotions. I feel trapped. I feel disappointed. I feel frustrated. I feel lonely. All these and now it's helping people been... understand yes. mental illness because yes. you know you're feeling all these feelings from a virus. We feel these things every day because of an illness, right? That we can't control. Yep, we can control absolutely. So, my last question: What does hope mean to you? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, <laughs> hope is kind of, I guess, just seeing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, while going through this whole thing when I had first told my parents about it I kind of had told them that I feel like I'm going through the midtown tunnel you know it's just an endless tunnel and you you just you keep driving through it and it just never ever ends after I got out of the hospital or as I was sitting with my team at the end when I was being released they asked me how I'm feeling and I said you know I feel like I'm halfway through that midtown tunnel I see that light at the end it still feels far away but I see that light there. And that's what hope is to me, seeing that light and working towards it and, you know, trying to get myself out of it and being able to tell my story with no shame, like I am now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's just hope is being able to get through it and live a life worth living. Wow. I love the way you described it, that you, that when you were leaving the hospital, you started seeing that mm-hmm. light. You're still very far away. Yep. But you saw that little bit of peeking through and saying, oh, I'm going to get there. Yep. That's still how I feel. I don't feel at the end yet, but I still see that light. And I'm working towards getting out of the Midtown Tunnel. You know, it takes a while to get out of there. And mm-hmm. I'm just kind of working my way out of it, heading towards the light every day, working a little harder, putting in more effort doing everything I can just to get out of that tunnel. So beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing your story. You will empower so many others to feel not alone, especially with borderline and borderline traits and not knowing if you have borderline, there's still so much stigma around borderline, let alone for like mm-hmm. there's mental health stigma and borderline is on a new level of, of, of taboo that's not spoken about and we really need to bring it up to the surface we need to show the world that we can we can have tools we can heal we can move forward we're humans suicidality is has always been a very difficult topic to talk about and to touch on and I think that's Mm -hmm. part of the issue is that it's always just kind of slipped under the rug that suicidality and you know, suicidal behavior, suicidal mm-hmm. ideation, everything is just kind of slipped under the rug and not talked about because people are very right. uncomfortable right. talking about it. So people need to get more comfortable and need to understand that it's okay right. to feel like that. There are people who feel like that. You're not alone. And 
with the right help, you'll be able to get out of that tunnel too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. How are you feeling now sharing it with us? I feel good. Yeah, good. I'm so happy. Good. Yeah, I'm so happy. Well, you just feel good because you for sure helped people out there. You empowered people to reach out to their best friend to find, and it doesn't mean you have to go and share your story out loud on social media. And it's actually not such a good idea when you're not safe to do it. Start very small, find that one person that like you said, find that one person that you feel Mm -hmm. safe with, but really safe. And it could be someone that you just recently met and you just have that gut feeling that you're safe with them more than childhood friends or the family like it sometimes it could be somebody that you don't really know from a group therapy or somebody like that and you just feel safe that's the first step of sharing once you share your story for the first time and you get that validation it's an incredible feeling and you know it's okay to feel how I'm feeling it's okay to tell other people yeah you know it just it gives you that reassuring feeling yeah but I want to just end off and saying if for some reason you found the wrong person to share and they'll just say, oh, snap out of it. It's no big deal. It's in your mind. That's when boundaries have to happen and you have to know, okay, right now this person is not good for me. I need to keep distance. Just keep, it doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean that you have to lose them forever. For now, until you recover, they won't understand what you're going through. They won't know how to help you. So just know it doesn't mean that you shouldn't share it. Don't let them dis- don't let other people's misunderstanding of you discourage you from finding the right help. So just put up boundaries yep. and say for now they're not good for me. Right now I need to walk away from them. I need to put boundaries that they won't hurt me and I need to find the person that will understand what I'm going through. Don't get discouraged by people's ignorance. Yep, 100%. There are, there will always be those people who will invalidate and say oh you know snap out of it just you know just get out of bed everything's fine you know why are you staying in bed why are you sad all the time no it's okay to be sad just keep your distance from those people until you feel like you can share with them what you're really going through and explain to them that it's a mental illness and you did not choose to be this way what a nice way to end this conversation thank you very very much for joining me i really appreciate it thank you Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.